3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to K-America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put days like today into context. So call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Goodbye, September. <laughs> Goodbye, unhappy. Yep, we had a very rough month and keep with September's reputation as the worst month on average every year. But now it's coming to an end, and all I can say is good riddance. After one more ugly session, Dow sinking to 500 points, S&P and Nasdaq both falling 1.51 percent. What went wrong? I put simply, the economy was just too darn hot, and unfortunately, it remains that way. Even though commodity inflation is now largely under control, we still haven't solved what I call the WFH burden. No, I'm not talking about that old pandemic salt work from home. Going forward, WFH on the MED money set will stand for wages, food, and housing. Because those are the areas with the most persistent inflation. The Fed must tame these, and they have to do it by lowering the value of your house and your portfolio. Well, unfortunately, putting your job in jeopardy. What a horrendous but necessary policy, as this kind of inflation will ruin everyone's purchasing power in the end if it remains unchecked. They're the three sticking points that we're dealing with as we go into October. The three key things that the Fed has not been able to get under control. Fed Chief Jay Powell hasn't stopped the wage spiral. There are just too few people in the workforce. A lot of people took early retirement, but they have come back. He hasn't stopped food inflation, which actually comes down to bad weather and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but it doesn't matter. And he hasn't stopped the runaway cost of housing, although I believe that is about to change with the new 7 percent mortgage rate. In September, WFH ran white, hot, hot. So the Fed decided enough is enough and hit us with our third straight triple rate hike. That's remarkable. That's the chief reason your portfolio got laid to waste and could continue to do so. So we have to ask, will the September nightmare continue? Well, there could be some respites, But I think the nightmare could continue. So let's start with our game plan for next week with that question in mind, because I do believe that the market can have spikes, but ultimately it's going to work its way lower for now, particularly the Nasdaq. Now, we have three events next week that will tell us if October is just an extension of September. First, we get the non-farm pay report. That's that labor report that comes out. That's the most important thing, 12 of them, and they impact for the whole month, all right? I expected to show too much hiring, remember, because it's backward-looking, and too much wage inflation, at least as far as the Fed's concerned. Remember, we're in a good news and bad news environment where we actually want to see and hear about more layoffs and lower wages, more firings. And I don't think we're going to get to that. There's just still too much business in this country. The other two events are speaking engagements by Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, okay, right before the open on Tuesday and then again on the close on Thursday. Now, you see, Mester is the primary inflation hawk on the Federal Open Market Committee. I call her the guardian of the galaxy because she is from Cleveland, where the guardians play, and she wants to protect us the whole galaxy from high inflation, even if that means raising interest rates into a recession. And look, she said that explicitly. I'm not putting words in her mouth. I don't think that's prudent, but I understand what she's trying to do. Personally, I think actually raising interest rates into a recession uh, is not prudent. I might even call it rash because I think you can raise rates slowly, to see what kind of damage they're doing after the tidings we've just had. Tightings, by the way, again, I agree with. But I'm not on the committee, and my views aren't representative. You got to understand. Right now, it's measured against your portfolio. And while she may not straight out say she wants your stocks to go lower, her hawkish statements certainly have that impact. The whole thing's self-fulfilling. Your portfolio goes down, your spending goes down, and the W F H situation, I said at the top of this piece, improves because there's less demand for everything. It's a terrible way to have it happen. It's the only way they have. The good news is that Mestre won't have the Labor Department's non-farmable farm payroll report to use against us. The bad news is that I still expect to see a red-hot set of employment numbers, and she'll be strident in calling for multiple rate hikes in interviews soon after. She is the stalking horse for the Uber Hawks. Right now, her view seems to be the dominant one, though. So how do you defend yourself against Mester and her harsh judgments, even when she ultimately may have your interests at heart? Own high-quality companies with good balance sheets and high dividends that will benefit from a decline in inflation because that's what's going to happen. I'd like to be more inclusive, but I can't do that until the two-year Treasury stabilizes at the 4.1 level, and it's not doing that. If it starts to creep toward 5% again, uh, like it did today, by the way, in the afternoon, it started doing it again. If it starts doing that on Friday's labor report, well, then October is going to look a lot like September, and bonds will be a better deal than stocks. Now, there are a lot of very loud money managers these days who are making calls that we're about to have an awful recession, almost a cataclysmic one, one that could be worse, bad or as worse as the financial crisis of 2007-2009. I call that the doomsday scenario. Now, I understand that anything can happen, but I think Armageddon does actually not lurk. Balance sheets are too strong, especially at the banks. Last night, James Gorman, the CEO of Morgan Stanley, came on this show and laid out a more benign scenario where transitioning from too easy money to harder money, from profligacy to stringency. It can and, 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 and will be painful. It, neither of us denying that it's going to be painful. We had a real good run, a lot of easy money, and now we got to pay the price. Gorman's looking for 4.44. 4, 4. This would be the optimal uh, 4% unemployment, a tad higher from here to bring wages down, a 4% federal funds rate, a little higher than here, and a 4% inflation, which would cut the inflation rate in half. Yes, the Fed ideally wants to get to 2% inflation, but they may not be able to do so so fast without needlessly wrecking the fabric of the country. If Gorman's vision comes true, we'll be able to put in a bottom maybe beginning next month. Too soon to tell if he's right, though. And if it doesn't come true, I think we'll have more of September. What else is going on next week? Well, Wednesday, we get numbers from two sleepers that I follow closely. Helen of Troy, the consumer packaged goods company that hit 52 week low, and Lamb Weston, that's the French fried potato company, just hit a couple bucks, just a a couple bucks from its uh, below its 52 week high. In this market, and I'm using these as examples. We saw this from Nike last night. All that happens is the downside gets accentuated and the upside just treads water. or goes marginally higher. That's what I expect will happen with both when they report. Thursday, we get a report from the charitable trust situation that I like very much, but this market's treacherous. This is Constellation Brands, the company behind Modelo and Corona. I think the revenue numbers could be extraordinarily good. We just need to see if the water and glass shortages in Mexico have impacted the company's bottom line. ConAgra and McCormick report, too. The former hasn't done anything in ages. It does need to figure out a way to be able to grow its business. The latter already pre-announced a nasty set of numbers. And I got to tell you, again, when a company like McCormick pre-announced a negative number, the actual earnings just tend to reinforce the bad number. This thing's been in the penalty box for the past three to six months. I don't know. I think it's a great company. We also have an analyst meeting with Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. This one's worth drilling down on because chief rival Carnival reported a terrible set of numbers this morning, and it crushed Norwegian along with the whole group of people who are liking travel and services. Well, maybe that's coming to an end. I'm betting Norwegian has better things to say than Carnival, but who knows? Carnival stock today was absolutely disconcerting. Finally, odd one. On Friday, we hear from Tilray. That's the pot company. And I actually think they're going to be able to make a bold prediction about the legalization of cannabis. For the first time, I'm wondering if this could become so low with a very good spec play for the rest of the Biden administration. Look, I'm a stock guy. I'm not a Fed policymaker. But from here, I think patience is prudence, even as more rate hikes are inevitable. Let me give you the bottom line. Fed raised and raised and raised right into recession in 2007, and it destroyed the economy. They know nothing! They must stay tough now, but you can be prudent, rational, and tough all at the same time because they can't let what happened in 2007 happen all over again. Conrad in Connecticut. Conrad! Booyah! What's going on, Jim? How you doing, Conrad? What's happening? I'm all right. Hey, uh, 23
2: handle on Pinterest, and the talks of maybe they're going to sell if they got any sense. What do
1: you think? Uh, short-term trade. Are you uh, short? Uh,
3: no, I mean, I'm not. I, I just can't. I, these are expensive stocks. I don't have a catalyst to explain why it would go up. I'm going to have to say no to buying the stock. It's just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's just too expensive. Joey in Missouri. Joey. Hey, Jim. i my call. How you doing? And thanks, for. Thanks for all of your advice to all of novice investors here. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. I got so many negatives, I feel awful. <laughs> but I just got to stick by my guns. I don't want to hurt people. What's going on? You're, you're doing a great job. I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Um, I would like you to, to know your recommendation on Roku.
3: I think Roku, It's, it's you know, Roku is still an $8 billion company. And it still sells. Uh, it's still losing money. So therefore, I can't recommend it. I know I sound like a broker record, but my point is to help you. And that means saying no to companies that are losing money. How about Josh in Pennsylvania? Josh. Jim, thanks for taking my call, buddy. Booyah. Of course. Of uh, course. We're Booyah. we about Kroger. Bought it a few months ago. Do you think I should hold it, or do you think I should buy something else? I think Kroger is handling itself very well. I think they're doing a great job in private label. I think it's a super company. It's a very inexpensive company. It's got a good yield. It's the kind of company that I say you got to ride through, and you can indeed own. Okay, when you're trying to slow down an economy, you can put through some big rate hikes, that's okay. But then you gotta let the country catch its breath before you do them again. Remember, the Fed raised right into recession in 2007 and destroyed the economy. They can continue to raise prudently, but they can't let what happened in 2007 they happen again. They know nothing. Oh man, money tonight! After a tough week for the market, one stock was exhibiting peak performance. I'm taking a closer look at Bale Resorts and giving you my take. I'm trying to spotlight some good stocks here. Then, is it time to buy, get bullish or buy? Well. Is the VIX flashing warning signs? I'm going off go the charts to find out. And in the face of volatility, it's always a good reminder to think about MI diversified when you're buying stocks, which of course is why we're going to play my favorite game, Put Your Portfolio to the Test. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweak Kramer, hashtag MadTweaks. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing. Everything costs more. Also a fact.
0: Visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Uh, End of another horrible week. Excuse me. Where the Dow and the S&P 500 both hit new 52-week lows, I want to point out that there are still some bright spots in this market. Not many, but stocks that defied the gravitational pull of the averages. Excuse me, I got a little shiver there. And actually managed to rally. Take Vail Resorts, which owns a host of mountain resorts and ski areas. The darn thing is rallied 14 bucks from this 52-week low set during Tuesday's horrible sell-off, as opposed to today's horrible sell-off. Uh, it's almost like a ski lift climbing a mountain... Of negativity. How did Vail do it, you ask? Simple. The company just reported a tremendous quarter with a very bullish forecast for the 2023 fiscal year. Of course, that just opens up another question. How the heck is Vail doing so well at a time when everyone's terrified of recession and consumers are pulling in their horns? We saw that look at Carnival Cruise today. Well, let me answer the, that question because I like this stock a great deal, and I think it's worth owning here, even after the rebound over the last few days, certainly leg into it. First, though, we need to put this whole move into context. Bell Resorts is a company that we liked very much back in the days before the pandemic. Then COVID hit and the stock crashed, but it quickly rebounded from its March 2020 lows, pretty much tripling over the course of about 20 months. Remember, during the worst days of the pandemic, people loved anything related to uh, outdoors, Getting a little warm in here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the only way to really safely socialize, it's, my mom always said never talk with your mouth full, even with a glove. Uh, that includes skiing. Unfortunately, ever since the virus started tapering off, Vales had to do a 10-month stint in the post-COVID penalty box. You know, like uh, like the Peloton and uh, like the docky sign because Wiley see perceived as a pandemic play. Plus, it was pretty darn expensive as of last November when the Fed declared war on inflation and Wall Street suddenly turned against anything with a high price to earnings multiple. It got... Excuse me. Fingers get cold out here on the slopes. It got so bad that Fail vale was hitting new lows earlier this week. Doesn't help the ski trip seem like the kind of discretionary spending that you do less of when the economy falls apart, You know, it's the Fed that is mandating it. But after the quarter, these guys just reported, this is looking like a much better story than we thought it was. We've always known that fail vale is best to breed. They own the highest quality mountain resorts in the country, and their properties are spread across the United States with a couple international locations as well. They've been very shrewd acquirers, by the way. More importantly, I've been eyeing this stock for a while now because early last year, the company announced a major strategic shift. In March of 2021, Vail decided to cut the price of all of its Epic Pass products, meaning ski lift tickets and admission prices, by 20%. They're trying to make the resorts more accessible. Even though Vail is synonymous with skiing, it's also synonymous with obscene levels of wealth. They're basically trying to sell more season passes to people who have less money, which I think is a good strategy because there's a whole lot more of them than there are the super rich people. Vail's new strategy has been a gigantic success, but you wouldn't know it from looking at the stock. Management started talking about how it was a hit uh, last September, but Vale never got much credit for this because two months later, the Fed declared war on inflation and anything with a high price earnings multiple suddenly went out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. At, this, at the time, Vale was trading at an astronomical 50 times earnings, so it definitely deserved to sell off in a newly harsh, hostile and harsher environment. But man, from the highs last November to the lows this Tuesday, lower than where it was when Vail's business took a real hit in 2018. And to me, that is a little nuts. What makes the decline even harder to swallow is the fact that the company's been putting up some excellent numbers. While the headline results missed in March, management raised their full-year forecast. Then in June, they posted a terrific beat and raised quarter. Didn't matter. Stock kept getting hit. Fast forward to Wednesday night, Vail reported another truly great quarter, and this time Wall Street actually cared. Possibly because the stock had gotten too cheap to ignore. The summer is not particularly important for these guys, but this was the fiscal fourth quarter. So we now have full year numbers for 2022, and more importantly, we've got a forecast for 2023 that's extremely bullish. Let's start with 2022, though, because this is the first full year since they announced that new strategy I mentioned with the cheaper passes. Listen to what CEO Kirsten Lynch had to say. Quote, results exceeded our original expectations for the year, driven by the stability from our advanced commitment past products with approximately 72 percent of skier visitation at our North American resorts coming from past product holders. Strong destination uh, group visitation, including demand for lift tickets and an improved guest experience, end quote. Put all together, and there's strong underlying demand for the core offering here. It makes sense that they're doing well. If you're running a travel business, you'd much rather lock people in with season pass type products because that gives you a nice sticky revenue stream makes them less vulnerable to cancellations when the economy suddenly slows down, like we've seen over the last few months. As Lynch said on the conference call, and again, I quote, advanced commitment continues to be the foundation of our strategy, shifting guests from short-term refundable lift ticket purchases to non-refundable pass commitments before the season starts in exchange for value. End quote, fabulous strategy. How about the guidance for 2023 fiscal year? Now, this is what truly allowed the stock to soar higher. Let me take you through this. Vail's pass product sales for the upcoming ski season are already up 7% year-over-year year on a dollar basis, and management expects that strength to continue through December. They've seen a ton of last year's pass holders buying ones for the new season, with discounted epic passes convincing lower-frequency guests to switch to more lucrative advanced commitment product products. Makes sense! They're also looking for 890 to $950 million in earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is up nicely from what the analysts were expecting. That translates to 7 to 13% growth. What can I say? Business is good. No wonder the stock spent the last few days roaring higher. And when the market goes down next week, you've got to be thinking about this one. So after taking a fresh look at this story, I'm feeling confident in Vail Resorts, especially with the stock now trading at just 24 times earnings, roughly half of where it was in November. Plus, you're being paid to wait. You got a 3.5% yield. Here's the bottom line. I know it is tough to feel bullish about anything in this market. And I wouldn't be surprised if Vail has more as if Fed keeps tightening and interest rates keep going higher. But this is a high-quality stock that's worth buying into weakness because with these fundamentals, it's inevitable that this stock is going to come roaring back. Man, Muddy's back after the break. After
1: finishing out a wild week, Kramer's got an eye on the VIX to see what lies ahead. A Friday version of Off the Charts is next.
0: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 Upstream Methane Intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane.
3: How much worse do things have to get before we stem the bleeding? Unfortunately, I think we may need to see a lot more red before all this is over because the economy is still just so hot and the Fed very much wants the market to go lower and you can't fight the Fed. That's why whenever we get a brief rally like that on Wednesday or this morning, the kind that tempts you back into feeling bullish, you need to stay cautious or even lighten up into a sharp, quick spike because it will probably have no follow through like they all have had lately. The bear, props are always important. The bear has not gone into hibernation, at least not yet. I'm going to stay on this case. And if you try to poke the bear, you're going to get mauled. Do not take it from me. Tonight we're going off the charts with Mark Sebastian, one of my favorites. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, and he's also raised for RealMoney.com, in order to get a better read of the action. Because he's our resident volatility expert. And right now, volatility is the order of the day. I mean, Did you see how the way the market just collapsed today? Normally, when the S&P 500 goes lower, the CBO or CBOE volatility index, also known as the VIX or the fear gauge, is supposed to go higher. And when the S&P rallies, the VIX is supposed to go lower, rational, natural. That's how things behave when a trend is continuing. Take a look at a pair of charts in the daily action, the S&P, and the daily action, the VIX. When the S&P found its footing in June, which was a great moment, I know, it was just a great moment, found its footing uh, and started marching higher, the VIX steadily went lower. That gave us a nice rally, exactly as it should. But now let's zoom in on the action of the VIX since August. What's weird here is that even as the S&P started falling in late August, Sebastian points out that we didn't see a strong move in the volatility. Didn't see one. Normally, you expect it to roar. And instead, it had more of a slow rolling rally. And you can see this. This Remember, the market's going down. The VIX is supposed to go up. And look, uh, that continued through early September. The VIX moved up, sure, but it wasn't at all commensurate with the hideous declines that we've all been suffering in the S&P 500. Even in the massive wave of selling that began on September 15th, the VIX was relatively sedate. It's only this week when it really exploded. So why has the volatility index behaved so oddly over the past month and a half? Why has it not helped us more? Sebastian thinks that it's related to the massive upside being held in VIX call options. I'd never thought about this. Money managers buy these as a hedge against sudden bouts of volatility. As of today, Sebastian knows that there's a huge open call volume and futures volume in the VIX. Just for November alone, there are 131,000 VIX calls with a strike of 35. There are 141,000 with a strike price of 40. And the numbers get even more bonkers at higher levels. 303,000 at 50. 256,060. Then 232,070. 179,080. By the way, if the VIX goes to 80, you're looking at a total meltdown in the stock market. I don't think it's going to happen, but you know I am bearish. Put it all together. That's 1.25 million open call contracts for the month of November alone. As Sebastian sees it, this means the market's already somewhat hedged against volatility risk. So the VIX doesn't spike as hard as when the S&P gets poleaxed as you would expect. There's no immediate race for a hedge against volatility because traders already have it on. But Sebastian points out that something's changed in the last week. So I want you to take a look at this chart of the S&P and the VIX. Even though the selling in the S&P has slowed versus where we were looking at earlier this month, the volatility index has shot up much, much more. See that? Boom. It's like traders suddenly decided that something big must be happening, even though the averages haven't been getting hit quite as hard. To Sebastian, it's like the VIX woke up. Why? Well, it all comes down to bonds. As I always tell you, it's about bonds, bonds, bonds. There's a reason I talk about the insanely high yield on the two-year Treasury note every night which could still go higher, as it did today. I want you to take a look at this one. This is a chart of the LQD, know this is confusing, I'm sorry. The LQD-IEF, that's the LQD, is the iShares Investment Grade Corporate Bond ETF, while the IEF is the iShares 7- seven- to 10-year Treasury Bond ETF. In short, this chart illustrates the relationship between investment grade corporate debt and government notes. As you can see right around this time, the VIX began to blow up Investment-grade bonds totally tanked relative to treasuries over there. Now, check out this chart, which shows the volatility index of the TLT, the 20-year treasury ETF. You can make a VIX out of anything, uh, including, of course, bonds. And right now, the volatility of long-term treasuries is exploding higher. To Sebastian, this is a sign that traders are really worried about what's going on in the bond market, like I am. I'm not a trader, but I am worried about the bond market. Not good news because the bond market is much larger than the stock market and it tends to lead the way. And the bond market is saying the economy is too hot and we have to take rates up big. Put it all together. And while it's possible for the market to get a near term short squeeze, which is what I'm banking on, Sebastian says the volatility index, the bond market and bond volatility are all pointing toward lower stock prices. In his view, it's absolutely not the time to go long. I understand that. What needs to happen before we can bottom from a chart perspective? Sebastian's waiting for the S&P to go down while the VIX also goes down. That's a classic tell that is coming to an end. That has not happened yet. I repeat, that has not happened. He won't be willing to step in until the market goes lower on declining volatility. How low could we go? Okay, take a look at the action, the S&P, over the last three years. Sebastian's eyeing 3386 as his downside price target. So that's still here. That's actually pretty far away. Uh, Because that was uh, the S&P's pre-pandemic high, and that's a lot of thinking is about what happened pre-pandemic. That's down more than 200 points from here, but once we reach that level, he says we got to start buying. I'm interested in that. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Mark Sebastian, who is my favorite fixed expert, suggest that this market's got more downside and it's way too early to go really bullish. Not what anybody wants to hear, but he's making a pretty compelling case. Call me a believer. As you know, I think this market is treacherous, but... Unlike him, I also believe we could get a sharp spike up. But for our charitable trust, if that happens, we're going to have to do some selling. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Lou in Minnesota. Lou. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you very much Take my call. I think you're oh, working you're too welcome. hard, Mr. Kramer. Ah, no, I love my I job, you but thank you. I, I don't know how, how you can do it. You're very kind. Thank you. Oh, I'm telling you. So my question is, you know,
1: what about Walgreens? You know, it looks like it's going down, down, down. And I would like to have your comment about Walgreens. I don't
3: think it's doing well. I don't think it's oh, doing well. That. CVS is yeah. doing better, but it's uh, CVS much higher stock. I like to buy uh, in retail. The only charitable, my charitable trust, we own Costco, and I think Costco is terrific. And they do all the things that you get at Walgreens, and they do it better. Let's go to Andrew in Minnesota. Andrew, hi. How's it
0: going?
3: Is this Jim How are you, Andrew? What's going on? I am doing well. Well, uh, long time fan and really cool to talk to you. Uh, so I had a question. I just was calling to get your thoughts on 3M company overall.
0: Sure. S-A-D. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for the kind uh, comments. Okay.
3: Uh, my father used to rep 3M, so I got to tell you, I am biased toward it. Now that I've said that, though, they have some combat arms litigation that involves noise in the ears, which I'm very familiar with, and that's not going that well. And they also have some uh, groundwater litigation. Both those are making so that I do not want you to buy the stock. All right. The VIX bond market and bond volatility as interpreted by Mark Sebastian suggests that this market's got more downside and it's way too early to get bullish. Remember, I think we're going to have a spike up. If we do, because that's because it's it's oversold, we're going to have to lighten up. Much more mad ahead. We're playing a Kramer fade and my diversify to see if your portfolios are prepared to handle the uptick in market volatility. Then, I have a plan for buying in this market that you won't want to miss. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Oh, boy, we've been in this bear market for what seems like forever, doesn't it? But eventually things come to an end. Maybe the market has to go lower. We'll figure it out together. The best way to position yourself on top when this market does turn around is to make sure your portfolio covers multiple sectors in a good way. And that's why today we're playing Am Diversified. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings. I tell you, if your portfolio is diversified enough, maybe you need to mix it up a little. I want you to be able to protect your capital. So let's start off with a tweet from James on Twitter. My top five holdings, he says, this is in his retirement account, are United Health, Waste Management, Goldman Sachs, Costco, and CrowdStrike. In total, about 50% of the account. Am I diversified? That's James in Los Angeles, a.k.a. Kramer. But with a K, important to point that out. All right, so. Look at this. Look what he's got here. Okay, so you have a really good Internet uh, balancing company for uh, people who do streaming. Waste Management, we know, is one of the great diversified companies because they have they're all over the country picking up waste, doing a lot of things. Goldman Sachs, I like them as a financial. They're the first to cut back when they saw that business had slowed. And I thought that was smart. United Health, you know, has long been one of my favorites, particularly because they have that Optum division. They have a lot of data. And Costco, uh, the only real retailer of any size that we own for Travel Trust, other than TJX. you got a retailer, a healthcare, a finance. Uh, it's called a diversified industrial. And we got a, a tech play, but I think a well-insulated tech play. I like this portfolio very much. I wouldn't touch, I would not change a Alright, next up we're going to Kevin in Texas. Kevin! Oh yeah, Jim. This is Kevin and Jude coming from Sugarland, Texas. Want to give a shout out to my dad, Frank Detank Mitchell, who recently passed away. Uh, I'd like to also ask you, am I diversified? My top five holdings are AMD, Snow, Nvidia, Lucid, and Meta. Thanks. Well, first, sorry about losing your dad. I know what that's like, and uh, you don't get over it, but uh, you're a member of the same club. I'm I'm in, and I hope that the grief is okay. It's, It's just a tough situation. But let's go to work together. Okay, NVIDIA and AMD are both semis, there, and a lot of times they're in the exact same markets. We're going to say, you know what, we're going to keep AMD because it's a lot cheaper on a price earnings multiple than NVIDIA, so keep that in mind. Meta, another technology company, too much like these, so we're going to have to say no to Meta. Uh, Snowflake, even higher price earnings multiple, again, technology related to the data center, that's too high, and then Lucid, a very expensive uh, EV ca- car company. Uh, I'm struggling here. Uh, Kevin, because I want to protect you. I need to see a healthcare. I, need, I need, Let's say, let's just let's say, let's do Bristol Myers. Let's do Costco. Let's do United Health because we just did that. Or you know, we want to mix it up a little. Why don't we do Raytheon? I like how their business is positioned. So we're going to have to make a lot of changes. We're going to build everything around AMD and Lucid. And then that you add those other three. You are way too tech oriented in a market that is very inhospitable for tech in the NASDAQ. All right, let's try another. Let's go to John in North Carolina. John. Hey, Jim, a big fat TGIF and Booyah
0: from Raleigh, North Carolina. I have five stocks in my portfolio and just wanted to throw them at you. Uh, I have Bank of America, I have Plug Power, I have FedEx, I have Honeywell, and I have Apple. Am I diversified?
3: See they're really putting me to the test today, you know that? All okay, right, so Plot power, we're going to put that as a spec. We're going to say it's spec. Now, it is hydrogen uh, vehicles, but we're just going to call it spec right now. Bank of America, premier bank when it comes to uh, uh, number of assets that it's got under management. Honeywell, he's from North Carolina. Well, so is Honeywell. Okay, that's a diversified manufacturer. with Aerospace, FedEx. We like the fact that they've de-risked the stock because it's down so much. Apple, I always say, own it, don't trade it, even if it's not the greatest time for Apple. How many times have I said, buy it, better times coming? Spec, bank, diversified industrial. Transport, and a premier tech company. I like that. Booyah, right back at you. We're not done. We're going to go to Pete. Chickie and Pete? No, that's Philadelphia. Let's go to Pete in Kentucky. Pete. Hello, Dr. Kramer. This is Pete Yo. in Kentucky. And uh, thanks for all you do for uh, the uh, blue-collar investor. And my stocks are AOS, FREY. LPX, and SPG. Uh, am I diversified? All right. Thanks, We're going to just be sure because some of these are a little too much like others. And I want to be sure I got the right ones. Um, Simon A.O. Smith. We got the industrial uh, Amazon, obviously, tech LP, Louisiana Pacific, they're kind of in a very tough quarter, but I like lumber. I like their uh, their plywood business. Uh, Simon Property, very good, seven percent yielder right now, but you know, maybe taking a little more, too much risk. And then Fryer, I just started studying Fryer, and I don't feel comfortable enough offering how I feel about it. But it's a, because in the real, I'll tell you why. It's a battery company, but it's at its fifty-two week high. It's so speculative. So why do we do this? A spec, I would take a little profit in that. A uh, great tech company, a uh, great building company, uh, a company that's also related in terms of uh, heating, air, and then a, a good retailer, Not a uh, little, little too much risk there. Uh, I think this is OK. This is the one I'm most fretting about because of batteries. And otherwise, it is indeed diversified, provided we count that as a spec and not something that goes into a, auto. Um, let's go to J- uh, next up, John in Marilyn. John. Hello, Dr. Jim. This is John from West Ocean City, Maryland. I have five symbols for you to see if I'm diversified AEP, A-B-B-V, DVN, PANW, and the last one is GIS. Am I diversified? Right. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Let me go to work. My dad always loved there. Why? Because it's dry. He always said, we'll go to dry towns. He loved the dry towns. Okay, premium, premium utility company, great food company, fabulous healthcare company. Should not have been down today. I thought that was a downgrade. It was just stupid. Uh, oil and gas, that's terrific. And the single best cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, industrial, food, healthcare, and oil and gas. Perfect. Mad Money's back. Here
1: Coming up. Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next.
3: It is time. It's time for the lightning round, everybody. That's why you call your calls. Round five, you say the name of the stock. tell you Bye bye. Just because, of course, I'm not quite sure myself. play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dax. I'm going to start with Rich in New Jersey. Rich.
1: Hey, Jim. Big South Jersey and Philadelphia uh, Eagles. Who are you today, my
3: man? Go, Birds. Go, Birds. What's up? Go,
1: Birds. Earlier in the week, you uh, focused in on your dirty dozen. Uh, my company here went uh, public in 2021 as well, uh, in 21 as well, and is getting hammered. Should I add to my position in UiPath, or does it make you a baker's dozen?
3: No, no, no. I mean, this is that great idea about software for these robotic, with the things that you just have to just constantly do, repetitive motion. But it's losing money, and I don't recommend companies that are losing money on their money. Let's go to Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda. Hi, Jim. yeah. Booyah. yeah. I need a little help. I'm confused sure. about LNG export,
0: not only the terminals, but also from,
3: um, from um, marine yeah. export. What can you tell okay. me? Okay. Well, look, I, I, I think that export. Whether well, look, the best one I happen to think is actually Chenier Energy Partners, CQP. Good yield, uh, safe, long term in this business. That's the way I would go. Okay, let's go to Bob in Massachusetts. Bob.
1: Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for all you do
3: and greetings from Boston. Uh, oh, thank might, you. Come well, on. I'm calling about a uh, Norwegian company uh, in the energy sector that has
2: uh, oil and gas, their own LNG terminal. Wondering your thoughts about Equinor.
3: Well, you know what? I'm going to give you an American analog, a Canadian analog that gives you a much better yield, which is Enbridge ENB, which is now yielding seven. And I think that's a mistake. I think that's a very good situation. And I do like yield. Let's go to Tommy in Florida. Tommy. Hey, Jim. It's Tom from Palm Coast. How are you in Florida? Uh, I'm doing well. I hope everything's okay down there. What's going on? Oh, you know, I'm I'm a long-term investor, Jim, and I've been following you for about ten years now. I've been a cl- I've, I'm, a, I'm a club member for the past seven, and I've been on Excellent. your show three times asking questions. And uh, general question, just to start, I, I would say just quickly is uh, I'm ninety percent invested in in the in your portfolio. So 90% okay. of my portfolio is what you have. And uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on its performance five years out. And maybe, and also uh, another question on MP Materials, the uh, rare earth mineral miner. Right, well, out in, out yeah, well in Vegas. the stocks we're buying are, are, you know, for multiple years out. And we think we're buying, we buy them slowly, we buy them low. If they spike up, we get a little bit of those MP Materials does have, according to some research that I read this week, that some of the prices of their materials have come down but it does make money and it's very well run and I believe in the uh, in the rare, rare earth materials and they've got them so long term view on that is very positive let's go to Mike in Pennsylvania Mike
1: hey Mr. Kramer how are you today
3: I am good Mike how about you
1: oh hanging in there it's all nice. right it's making it's me point. crazy but
3: yeah it's i got LASR oh geez okay so semi laser, that's a great business, but it loses money. And I, I know I'm a broken record. We can't recommend stocks of companies that are losing money in a bear market. It just won't work. Let's go to Gene in Arizona. Gene. Hello. Gene, you're how up. Are you? Jim. I am good. Yeah. How are you?
2: Fine. My question is about PBR,
1: Petrobras.
3: Yeah, you, you know, what? for a long time I followed this company. They used to call it Pabst Blue Ribbon PBR. And you know what? I'm not going to buy any stock in a country that right now is in such political flux that you can wake up tomorrow and discover that, that company's been nationalized. That's how dangerous that country is right now. I know that seems ex- uh, extreme, but I'm not going there. Let's go to Donovan in Ohio. Donovan. yeah, Jim, from Columbus, Ohio. Booyah. Thank you for all the time. Donovan. What's uh, I up? I've been investing for very long, but uh, I watch both your shows and I'm learning a lot. Call tonight We're about the stock Amerisource Bergen ticker symbol ABC. What do you think? Very good distributor, reasonable valuation, does a lot, do, does well no matter in good times and bad times. Call me a buyer of Amerisource Bergen. There's something I like. How about Adam in Michigan, Adam? Hey, Kramerica, how you doing, man? I am doing well. How about you? Not bad, not bad. Good, I am looking good. at. Starting a position
1: in B.J. What do you think? I
3: like B.J.'s very much. It's an inexpensive Costco, so to speak, and I think it does very well, and I would be a buyer of B.J.'s right here, but my travel trust owns Costco, and I do prefer them because management is unbelievable, and they are a volume player that will do incredibly well with 100 million members and just keeps getting better and better as a company. Hey, let's go to Ann Barish in Missouri. Ann Barish. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, man. What's going on? Hey, this is my first time calling. I'm very excited to be okay. on the show. Thanks for having oh, me. I absolutely. want to pick your brain on New Mountain Finance Company, ticker symbol NMFC. I'm, I'm glad you asked about this. This is the kind of company that looks very fetching because we know it's got a good yield and we know it's got a low price but we don't know how what they're invested in and as far as I'm concerned, therefore, it's too dangerous. And that, ladies and is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After a tough week, should buying be on your radar? Kramer's offering up some rules for the road, next.
3: On well, this morning's squawk on the street, I made a statement that's surprisingly controversial in this business. If you're going to buy stocks in this treacherous time, please buy the stocks of good companies, with good balance sheets and good dividends. My partner, David Faber, merely offered a patented no kidding kind of look to me. And I have to say, I didn't feel a little naked when he did that. But let me explain why this simple sounding idea is so contrary to the conventional wisdom on Wall Street right now. We had two good examples of what I'm talking about just today. First, this morning, we interviewed Sanjay Marotra. He's the CEO of Micron, about last night's quarterly report. The giant semiconductor company's quarter was okay, but the outlook, I'm calling the outlook, just tremendously disappointing. (laughs) Yet the stock didn't go down. Even Sanjay explained that it might take until the middle of next year before they see a significant turn. Now, unlike many of the buyers today, I've followed Micron for 31 years. Its stock has always been boom and bust, even as the company's been trying diligently to get away from that posture with some terrific new secular growth technology. Now, that was true to some extent, but at the end of the day, they make flash memory chips and DRAMs, and they are still the ultimate tech commodities. So, we got the same old story. Micron has a lot of hot chips, so their customers double order to get their allocations. Then they make too many chips, ending up with too much inventory, which causes them to slash prices, crushing the earnings. When you have an inventory correction like this, it usually takes two quarters before. You can buy that stock in question with any safety that's how long it takes to clear out the inventory and start the process over again historically buying a stock like micron now has been too early but all i heard today was a bunch of people saying now is the time to buy now based on what certainly not history at the same time today i heard endless calls that it's time to buy buy, buy! the stock of nike after reported gigantic glut and apparel inventory Nike stock fell nearly 13% today, yet all I heard was that it's finally right. I come back and say, please tell me why. When you hear that there's a huge inventory overhang, again, it takes more than one quarter to get rid of apparel inventory. And that means the next quarter will probably be suboptimal. Some say you have to buy Nike now because the China economy is going to open up and that will turn around. their down 13% figures. I say, who knows? Did someone let me know that China's opening up? I don't like to bet on who knows. I like to bet on quality now. For example, if you really want to bet on a turn in China, I'd much rather do it with Starbucks, which is already doing quite well in the People's Republic, while also doing great in America. Why the heck would you buy a company that just disappointed, like Nike, when you can invest in excellence now instead? I I don't get it. And if I want to bet on a beaten up tech company, I'd rather go with Qualcomm at a very low multiple with a burgeoning auto business to go with its cell phone franchise. Or, you know what? Let's be simple. You can own Marvell Technology, which is a stock that is going down. I see that kind of stuff. But this one makes chips for the one part of Micron's business that's actually doing well, the enterprise. So the fundamentals are good. If you do not know these companies, please join the CMUC Investing Club. You'll get all the information you need to make decisions yourself about those three. You see, there is a method to my non-manders. Stocks have been crushed, almost all stocks. So why buy the trash stocks of damaged companies when you can buy the destroyed stocks of perfectly healthy companies? Right now, there's simply no edge to buying bad when you can buy good instead. Now, that won't always be the case. Sometimes weak quarters do create great opportunities. But in my experience, you have to be more patient, particularly in a bear market like we have right now. These beaten down stocks are now turnaround stories, and those just take longer than other kinds of companies to turn. Why not buy the eviscerated stocks of companies that are already doing well instead? They're a heck of a lot cheaper than the fallen stars that everyone else seems to be drawn to, yet the numbers are going to come down. These people are like moths to flame. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Monday. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.